0: 29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles, he sat at his right hand, his own eyes saw Jesus transfigured, the very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. Well guys, we are uh, we want to uh we thought the best way to introduce you to Nicodemus was to allow the people from The Chosen to show you the scene of Nicodemus with Jesus. And uh, we think it's a powerful way to introduce the story. And so we're just going to watch a few minutes of it, and then I'll, uh, I'll talk through what we see in the Gospel of John, and then we'll finish uh, with one last clip. So, ...gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery
1: tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type? Mm-hmm but I have never heard anyone tell the paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God and how is that belief going over in the synagogue (laughs) (laughs) which is why we are here at this hour what else what have you come here to show us a kingdom that is what our rulers are worried about no not that kind then what a sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Eh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. And I hear it sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the spirit. The spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles. Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites; They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin from spiritual death. God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about... God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent Him to save it. Through Him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in Him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met Lila, Mary, that day. I told my wife and my students I she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. I, my whole life, I have uh, wondered if I would see this day. Me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I. 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 You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life? To, to give up who I am? It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> no. Maybe I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter. What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and and wonder. It can tell me nothing except that I am standing on hold. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
0: (laughs) Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and he could see God was working in Jesus. But he could also see he was not working in him. And he wanted to know what to do. And Jesus knew Nicodemus had barriers to believing. He could see it in his eyes. His career as a Pharisee gave him standing with the people and a comfortable income. His knowledge of the Torah locked his beliefs to what he had been taught. It would be crazy to believe those things were wrong. And his peers would destroy his life if they knew he was following Jesus. They would treat him as a criminal... His fellow Pharisees would see him as a threat instead of a wise and trusted leader. His career would be ruined. And many of us Christians truly believe we are right with God. We're comfortable. We have a good job. We have good income. We're confident because we go to church. We go to church and we do good things for people and we don't ruffle feathers in our community and our families. Yet Jesus stood before Nicodemus, and he looked at his buttoned-up life, and he said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of thy Father in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Many Christians are just like Nicodemus and believe we've got it right. If you were at that table with Jesus tonight, how would he assess your commitment to him? Nicodemus affirmed the numerous good things he saw in Jesus. He called him rabbi. He said, You're from God, and He's doing things in you. I see it. And He appeared to want the truth, didn't He? You could see it in His eyes. And He proved that there were going to be Pharisees that would not reject Jesus. But unfortunately, those vocal elites that were His peers were forcing people to think one way and to hide. And that fear made those people scared. And in the same way, our culture is trying to force people to think one way right now. And that does cause men to hide and disregard those promptings they feel of God in their heart. The cultural elites in American politics, academia, and the media are constantly saying anything Jesus, anything Christian is wrong. But guys, keep your eyes open because there's men all around us who are quietly coming at night, and they're dying to hear the truth. And we have the incredible opportunity to welcome them in and to answer all their questions and help them ask the things they think they can't ask? How can you make yourself available to men around you who may be ready for those quiet conversations? Jesus tells Nicodemus he must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't say, it's a good idea or maybe a possible path for you, or maybe just an alternate opportunity. He said, you must, Nicodemus. There's no other option. It's the only way. Nicodemus grew up being told he was a Judean Jew, born into the covenant with Abraham and circumcised on the eighth day. And as a chosen Jew, if he followed the laws, he was guaranteed eternal life with God. Jesus said, in essence, in that moment, Nicodemus, your birth And all it means to be a Jew, it's not going to get you there. Your heart is still filled with sin, and all of that will not clean you up. That message equally applies to us, you guys. Our family's church heritage, your baptism, your confession, your confirmation, all the rituals, they're actually useless if you're not born again. Our sins without Jesus will condemn us too. Paul said in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe, believe in our heart that God resurrected him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus further explains how that works to Nicodemus. He says you must be born of water and the spirit. And this is a direct reference to the Old Testament prophecy in Ezekiel. And it's in Ezekiel 36. And he knows Nicodemus has this scripture fresh in his mind. And it says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God will change men with water and spirit. A man cannot change himself. Nicodemus knows this scripture quite well, and that's why Jesus quotes it and he corrects his wrong interpretation. One, he's carried his entire life. A spiritual birth is required because Nicodemus is spiritually dead and he doesn't know it. And he says, The wind is like that. The spirit is like the wind, it blows. They share the common word, wind and spirit in Greek, it's pneuma. The Holy Spirit brings this new birth. And we have no power over that spirit. It's not under our control. The work of the spirit is visible like the wind, but we can't see him. The Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and mind and causes us to believe. In John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him in. Guys, we are not in control of that. Being born again is a work of the Holy Spirit alone. When men hear Jesus speak, they will then feel the Holy Spirit convict. And if they believe, they will find themselves in water, confessing Jesus as their Savior. How confident are you that you have been born again of the Spirit? Jesus then references the snake on the pole saving in the desert. Again, Jesus quotes a Torah story, which Nicodemus would have known. He was an expert in the story. And Jesus will again correct his wrong understanding of this text. God allowed thousands of Jews to be bitten by snakes for rebelling against Moses in the desert. Those snake bitten people had to look at a bronze snake on a pole and believe that that would heal them. Many did not because they rejected this crazy idea of believing God could use a bronze snake on a pole to save them. And those people died. And Jesus says, I will die on a cross to save people, to save you, Nicodemus. Everyone has been bitten by the snake called the devil, and we are filled with sin, and we will die if we do not look to Jesus on the cross and believe through him that we can be healed. And Jesus explains God's plan to Nicodemus, one we've all heard so many times, but in this setting, the power of these words are incredible for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God, his one and only Son. In these words, Jesus introduced radical concepts to Nicodemus. These ideas were considered blasphemy among his peers, worthy of dying. First, Jesus said the Messiah was coming for all mankind, coming to give eternal life to everyone, not just the chosen Jews. And he was going to give this life by simply allowing people to believe in him. Wow, the works of following the law were not required Only belief in Jesus was required. And then second, he says, the Messiah was not going to fix the Roman oppression. The Messiah was coming to deal with the kingdom after death, not the kingdom on earth. So Jesus says for the first time that the Messiah would be saving men, not from Roman oppression, but from eternal hell. This is a radical idea. And going to hell was directly uh, connected to their sinful hearts, which Nicodemus had. This is blowing his mind. This was a shocking statement because the Jews believed their heritage and the law would save them now and in eternity. We've called this the gospel, these words, because it's good news. For Nicodemus, that was a radical set of ideas that that did not fit in any way, in any interpretation of the Jewish Bible that he read. There was nothing, Jesus said, that was good news. It scared him to death. But he saw and he heard the man Jesus, and he watched his miracles. And in his heart, he knew there was a truth, and it was tearing him apart. When did you last feel threatened by words from Jesus that penetrated your heart? How did you respond to those convicting moments? And in this last scene, we see Jesus and his disciples working with John the Baptist. And John's men are frustrated, and they're asking, what's going on? And John reminds him, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm simply a friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is here. He's Jesus, and I'm so happy he's here. John's saying, it's time to follow him, not me. This should challenge every person to ask who are you actually following? Really? Is it a pastor, a podcaster, an author, a TV personality, athlete? Is it really Jesus who you follow each day? I mean, it's interesting. Most large churches are large because a good portion of the people are drawn to the good teaching of the charismatic, gifted preacher. This is common. And when he leaves, the church body either disassembles and follows him or goes to another popular pastor or they bring another celebrity pastor in to keep it going. And John so eloquently helps us see that Jesus is who we must follow, not somebody that's just an eloquent speaker. Listen, guys, a steady diet of Bible study with other men, prayer time in groups and then alone, serving others as you're called by Jesus and lovingly teaching your family to follow Jesus are completed each week with worship on Sunday. It won't matter at all who preaches if your week was already filled with deep, deep, meaningful encounters with Jesus. What will it take for you to make Sunday your dessert instead of the only meal you eat that week? John also said he must become less so he can be Jesus can become more. John knew his status had to decline because people were following him. He had to go low. He had to stop attracting them into himself to make sure they followed Jesus. I felt Jesus poking me in this story. There are so many parts of me that keep me and other men from seeing Jesus. When I'm alone, my fears and my desires keep me focused on me. And honestly, there's times I just love being consumed with me. And when other men are around, man, I love getting affirmed by sounding like a committed Jesus guy, sacrificially serving others. And man, I've got this vocab and this way of saying it and describing, it, and it just draws attention to me. And I really honestly hope the focus never goes on Jesus. I love the attention. John really pushed me in this text. There must be less of me and more of Jesus. What do you need to change So there's a lot less of you and a lot more of Jesus each day. John the baptizer finishes his talk by creating an incredible picture of Jesus. And what's so hard when I read this is I'm like, these words sound so churchy and trite, and it made me sad. That's how I received them. Please don't listen to them, guys. These were shocking words. John's saying to these men, he's revealing Jesus in words they've never heard. Jesus is from heaven. He's above everything on the earth. Jesus testified of what he saw in heaven and what he heard from God because he was there with him. Jesus speaks on behalf of God. He has unlimited access to the Holy Spirit. God loves Jesus and has placed everything in his hands. And anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. These men have never heard these words. And then he makes this hard shift and says, whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains in him. Wrath is a very hard topic and has far more to it than I can explain in a minute. But let me just say this. Jesus makes it crystal clear in his own words, the completion of God's wrath is a place called hell. Hell. Men who die with God's wrath end up in a real place called hell. There are 162 references to hell in the New Testament. Jesus spoke 70 of them. In Matthew 25, 41, we hear one where he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And John wrote in the book of Revelations, And each person was judged according to what he had done, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Man, I believe God is speaking plainly and not in metaphors. Preachers used to spend a lot of time scaring people out of hell, hoping they would choose Jesus. Now they don't say a word about it, hoping people feel good when they leave the sanctuary. Jesus said the place called hell is real. A number of years ago, a book was published entitled Beyond Death's Door by Dr. Maurice Rawlings. And Dr. Rawlings was a specialist in internal medicine and cardiovascular disease, resuscitating many people who had been clinically dead. Dr. Rawlings, a devout atheist, considered all religion hocus pocus and death nothing more than a painless extinction. But something happened in 1977 that brought a dramatic change in the life of Dr. Rawlings. He was resuscitating a man, terrified and screaming, and he recalls the moment. Each time he regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I'm in hell! He was terrified and pleaded with me to help me. I was deeply disturbed when I noticed a generally alarmed look on his face. He had a terrified countenance much worse than the expression I had seen on other people that had died. This patient had a grotesque grimace expressing sheer horror. His pupils were dilated and he was perspiring and he was trembling. He looked as if his hair was on end. And then another strange thing happened. He said, don't you understand I'm in hell? Don't let me go back to hell. The man was serious and it finally occurred to me that he was indeed in trouble. He was in a panic like I had never seen before. Dr. Rawlings said no one would have, who would have heard his screams and saw that look of terror in his face would have doubted for a single moment that this man was absolutely, without question, in hell. This should be everyone.
1: Everyone's here.
0: Yes, this is all of us.
1: Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us.
0: It's enough for two weeks of food and
1: lodging. so close what do you mean we need to go for to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall Simon is correct let's go
0: If you guys feel that, but man, that just scene tears my heart out because you could see Nicodemus so desperately wanted to go. He so wanted to be there. He was weeping because he knew in his heart he wanted to follow, and all he left was the money. But he wanted to go. So, what's holding you back right now? There's men in this room that Jesus is trying to reach, he's trying to call you. And he's asking you to come. And there's a part of you that just keeps saying, I can't do it. And I'm asking you to come. Jesus is saying, come. So come. I'm going to close this with prayer. And if you're really feeling like God's calling you to come, just come up here, man. When I get done praying, let's pray together so that you can just say, Jesus, I believe you, Lord. And I love you, and I want to follow you. Because tonight's the night for that, you guys. Don't be like Nicodemus. Don't stand there and weep and wish you could go. You can. So come. Come. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Thank you for this incredible story. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me. And Lord, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. I want to come too, and you somehow allowed me. So Lord, please let those men whose hearts are being drawn to you right now, let them come, even if they can't make it up here in their own heart right now, just in the quietness of where they are. Help them say, Lord, I give my life to you. You're my Lord and Savior, and I need you. In your name I pray, precious Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Have a good night, huh?